Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. So we're going to continue our series today, Greater. We're going through the book of Hebrews over the next few weeks, exploring this letter. And uh, I want to begin today with a quick recap of what we looked at last week, what Jacob introduced us to as we began this series. We don't know who wrote this letter, but we do know it was written to a a group of believers uh, who were living in a pluralistic society very similar to ours. They were surrounded by different beliefs and different practices. And because they were choosing Jesus, they were under pressure. They were marginalised, they were suffering persecution. And um, for them, following Jesus was costly. And so the writer of this letter writes to them, and he has two main aims in mind as he writes to these early believers. There's two main goals for this letter. He wants to show them, first of all, that Jesus is greater than anyone and anything. And because of that, he's worthy to be trusted. He's someone who can be devoted to. He's worthy uh, of, of the suffering they're enduring. And he wants to encourage them to basically remain firm, stand firm in their faith, even in the midst of suffering and persecution. And last week, Jacob opened this series by looking at the first three verses of the letter and this incredible CV that describes who Jesus is, this incredible list of characteristics of who the person of Jesus is, the incredible majesty and scope of the person of Jesus Today I'm going to look from verse 4 into the early part of chapter 2. We're going to read from verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 4, through to chapter 2, verse 4. Let's begin today by reading this section. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings, first, brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of his joy. He also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. You'll roll them up like a robe, like a garment that will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all the angels ministering spirits sent out to serve those who will inherit salvation? We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have, been, what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So after this introduction that we looked at last week from verses 1 to 3, we have to sort of ask the question, why does the the writer now spend so much time 
talking about angels. Why does this letter spend so much time comparing angels to Jesus? And for us, in a modern context, this seems quite strange. But for the Jewish culture into which this letter was being written, it makes perfect sense. Because for Jewish people, angels were really held in high regard. Angels were seen as messengers from God. They were believed to have given the Torah, the, the, the law, to Moses at Mount Sinai. Angels also appeared several times in the gospel stories. They were there at the birth of Jesus, announcing the birth. And they were also there at the resurrection of Jesus at the empty tomb, announcing he is risen. And also, according to the Apostle Paul, there were people who valued angels so high they were worshipping them. So when he wrote to the church at Colossae, he denounced this worship of angels. So angels in the Jewish community were held in very high regard. And so the writer of this letter sees fit to contrast Jesus' status with them. Now what you or I personally think about angels at this moment isn't really important. The key thing is the writer is telling the original readers and he's telling us that Jesus is above them. Jesus is greater than them. And he does this by using a long list of quotations taken from the Old Testament. He uses books like the Psalms to illustrate how Jesus is greater than the angels. And he starts by quoting from Psalm 2. He says, You are my son, today I have become your father. And the writer is taking words that originally were directed to uh, the King, King David and applying them to Jesus. And again, this might seem a little bit strange to us, but this happens throughout Scripture. You find words that are written, written in an Old Testament context find their fulfillment in a messianic context in the New Testament. They find their full meaning in the person of Jesus Christ. He then goes on to quote from 2 Samuel 7, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, these words found their partial fulfillment in Solomon when he built the temple. Solomon was the son of David. But they find perfect fulfillment in someone who was born later on through David's line, the person of Jesus Christ. And the reason the author is quoting these, these, these sections is because he wants to show that God addresses Jesus as his son. And no angel has ever been addressed as God's son, so therefore Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is superior to the angels because of his relationship with the Father. And then the writer goes on to say how angels are created beings. He quotes from Psalm 104. He says, He makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. And the key words here are, he makes. The angels were created beings, created by God for specific purposes. Jesus was not created. Jesus was pre-existent. He existed before creation. So unlike the angels, he wasn't a created being. He was with God from the beginning. And the word spirit used in this passage here to describe uh, the angels is the word used for winds. We've got these metaphors of wind and fire both being used to describe how powerful angels are. But again, the writer of Hebrews says, no matter how powerful angels are, Jesus is above. Jesus is superior. Jesus is greater. And then he contrasts how the angel's main role is to serve, but Jesus' main role is to rule. And he quotes from Psalm 45 saying, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. And he concludes the whole section by quoting from Psalm 102, saying, You remain the same, and your years will never end, to show how Jesus' reign will continue 
for eternity. And the writer's intention throughout this section is not to belittle angels, but to show Jesus' superiority over them. And so he concludes by saying, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So angels have a place and a purpose, and it's linked to Jesus, and it's linked to the work of God. But the writer's at pains to say angels are never greater than Jesus. They will never supersede him. They will never overtake him. So after all this talk of angels, <clears throat> what is the application for us today? Well, I think if the Jewish believers were susceptible to thinking that maybe a message would come via an angel that would be greater than Jesus, we have to think about what messages are we susceptible to in our modern equivalent. If the writer of this letter was writing to you today, what would he need to contrast in this letter? What would he need to say that Jesus is greater than for you to really touch into your situation? What message or messenger in your life has the potential to eclipse the person of Jesus? And as you think about this today, perhaps you could reflect on the statement, Jesus is greater than, and put in your own thing that, that makes sense for you in your context. A statement that you need to affirm and reaffirm to make sure those other messages don't overtake the person of Jesus Christ. So if you opened a letter like this Hebrew letter was written to these believers today, what would you like to read? What would you like to read in there that would, would encourage you? That would say, Jesus is greater than this in my life. Jesus is greater than that in my life. Jesus is a bigger message, a greater message than this message that I hear daily in my life. Maybe take a few moments after this talk to reflect on that. Who is Jesus wanting to be greater than in your life? And after describing Jesus' superiority, there comes a warning. Now, Jesus, uh, Jake talked about these warnings last week. He said throughout the book there's a pattern of statements about Jesus, then, we, then the writer says there's, a, there's a, something to pay heed to here. There's, some, there's, a, there's a warning. And the warning here is written uh, at the end of this section. The writer says, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so we do not drift away. The previous section has all been about God's messengers, the angels. And now the writer says, We have to pay attention to the most important message the message that Jesus brought a message of love and reconciliation the message that Jesus carried and embodied the words used in our modern translations they lose a lot of their impact in our English language a better translation of this phrase pay the most careful attention to which sounds just a little bit weak actually is to be super abundantly preoccupied super abundantly preoccupied with the person and the message of Jesus. The writer Tim Keller says, be furiously obsessed with the gospel. That's his translation of the words in the Greek that are used here. And these words go way beyond, oh, that's, that's interesting. They're, they're, they're a call to put Jesus front and center in our lives, in every way, in every place. Jesus is to be our preoccupation. That's what the writer is encouraging us into here in this section. And as we remember, the recipients of this letter were all under all sorts of pressure, weren't they? Pressure from society, pressure from different belief systems. They were under pressure and they were under persecution. And they were suffering because they were choosing to follow Jesus Christ. 
They were being pulled in all sorts of different directions. And the writer is fearful these forces could cast them adrift, take them away from their security in the gospel. So he says, focus in on the most important thing. A few Christmases ago, I was bought this great little book, The Pocket Book of Boating and Sailing Knots. Now, I'm not really a sailor. I've done a tiny bit of sailing, done a sailing course, but I do enjoy learning new things. And so this book's great. It helpfully came with, uh, with rope, and it came with even something to tie your knots to. So I spent the Christmas and some time afterwards learning different sorts of knots. And I began to learn a few knots, and one of my favourite knots um, was the mooring hitch, which I'm going to try and tie for you now, which is always fun, trying to do something like this on camera. But I'll do my best to tie a little mooring hitch. I think that's what that one is there, so let's just pull that up tight. Okay, I think we have a mooring hitch. There you are. So the idea of a mooring hitch is you can use it to tie a little boat up to the dock when you come into a, the dockside there and you can moor your boat. And it's a great little knot. It's a good little knot for um, a temporary fix to a mooring. Uh, and the reason it's um, classed as a temporary knot is because if I pull on this one here and I've got this knot right, the whole thing should come undone and off you go again in your boat. A great little knot in the right situation, in the right place, but you wouldn't use that knot to moor a larger boat and you wouldn't use it to secure a boat in rough weather because the strain and pull on that knot would probably cause it to fail and come undone and you find your boat was adrift when you came back to it. In this book, there's much better knots for securing boats. There's even a, a knot for tying two ends of two rock climbing rope together called the Flemish Bend, and it's a lot so strong you can literally trust in it to save your life. You can hang off it. I'm not no pun intended, going to try and do any more knots today because I'll probably make a mess of them. Um, but what the writer of Hebrews is saying in this section is saying firmly anchor yourselves into the message and the person of Jesus Christ so you don't drift away, so you don't get cast adrift. All that pulling that's taking place, different strains upon your life, they're pulling you away from the person of Jesus. And so the writer says, make sure you're secured into him. Make him your preoccupation. Make him your, your, so you're super abundantly preoccupied with the person of Jesus, so you remain securely connected to him. And what might that look like for you and me, to be super abundantly preoccupied with Jesus? Well, I think we can start with what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean we have to be religious. It doesn't mean we have to be weird. It doesn't mean we have to be odd. We don't have to be weird to be preoccupied with Jesus. We don't have to become super spiritual. We don't have to be disconnected from reality or disconnected from other people to be preoccupied with Jesus. It doesn't mean we have to become judgmental of other people's choices or other people's actions. It doesn't mean we have to become uncaring or unloving if we want to be preoccupied with Jesus. I think it does mean we intentionally bring Jesus front and centre. We try and bring him into every area of our lives, make conscious choices to remind ourselves that Jesus is with us in all these different places and spaces that we occupy. We try to ensure his message rises above all the other messages that we're hearing in our lives. And it means we try to constantly remind ourselves of who he is and what he's done and what he says about us and what he's done in our lives. 
The Jewish people, they need to be reminded that Jesus was greater than the angels. And so what do we need to be reminded of? What have we heard about Jesus that we need to be reminded of in our own lives, in our own contexts? In the last part of this section we're looking at today, there's this powerful statement that says, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? And this begs the question, doesn't it? What are we escaping from? Why do we need to be rescued? And the author sets this question in the context of the Old Testament law that's been in the connection with the angel, the angel's giving of the law. And he sets this context of the Old Testament law. And he says the Old Testament law had consequences if it was broken. And we don't live under Old Testament law, but we do live under a modern law. And that has consequences if that law is broken as well. But you might say today, well, I don't live under Old Testament law and I don't go around intentionally breaking the law, so what do I need to be rescued from? What consequences do I need to be worried about? Well, let's go back to my boat and uh, not analogy. Let's imagine you and I go on a shopping trip to Herne Bay in my little motorboat and um, we decide to pop along the coast there, the weather's good, and we drive into Herne Bay or we motor in to Herne Bay Harbour and uh, I tie the boat with my, one of my trusty mooring hitches and uh, the sun's shining and I pop to the shops but you decide just to sit in the back of the boat, lie down, enjoy the sun and the beautiful weather. Well, you fall asleep. And when you wake, you find actually my trusty mooring hitch wasn't up to the job. The boat's come adrift and you're now out in the middle of the Thames estuary, being pulled rapidly by the current into the shipping lane. The weather's changed, the wind's come up, the sky's darkening, and you can see these huge container ships bearing down on you. You can't start the engine because I've got the key, and you find your mobile phone's run out of battery. You can't call for help. By now, you realise that you need to be rescued. Well, thankfully, back on the shore, I've noticed the boat's gone. I've called the Coast Guard. They've notified Whitstable Lifeboat, and the guys are racing out to rescue you and, and extract you from your predicament. You escape from what was a potentially life-threatening situation. But what would happen if you ignored the crew when they arrived? That, that, that lifeboat pulled up and you said, sorry, I don't want it. I don't want your rescue. I don't need it. I'm going to stay here. I'm perfectly happy. You would have every right to do that if you wanted to. You could be oblivious to the, just the, the peril that you were in. This is the picture that's been painted by the writer in Hebrews. He says, in effect, we've all drifted from God's love and God's protection, and we all need a rescue. We all need salvation. That's what that word means. We're all, but we're powerless to do anything about our situation, similar to, to you being stuck out in that boat with no key to start the engine and no way to call for help. You're powerless at the mercy of the circumstances you're in. Someone needs to come and save you. Someone needs to come and save us. And this is the salvation that the writer of this letter is talking about. And this is the rescue mission that is undertaken by Jesus and described in the Gospels. You see, Jesus wasn't just another messenger pointing to God. He is God coming to get you, coming to find you, coming to find me, coming to rescue us. And he comes to save us. He comes to, comes to save us from being adrift from God's love. And the escape is to escape back into God's plan and God's purpose 
for our lives, the security that God offers as we have relationship restored with him. But none of this is forced upon us. None of this. In the same way I could refuse, you could refuse to be rescued by a lifeboat crew, we can ignore this great salvation, the writer says. We can ignore it. We can, be, we can choose to turn away from it. But as we do that, we forfeit our escape, uh, our ability to, to return into God's love. We have a choice to remain where we are. We have a choice to go our own way. Or we have a choice to respond to this great salvation that Jesus offers to us. Now, you may not feel in need of a rescue today. You may be listening to thinking, well, that just doesn't apply to me. And I, can, I know what that feels like back in my early 20s when I first heard the message about Jesus. I thought, well, that just doesn't apply to me. I don't feel in need of a rescue. But actually, what the Bible does, it helps us to understand that even if we don't feel that need, the Bible tells us we are in need. We're in a perilous situation. And Jesus has come to rescue us and restore us back into God's love, back into God's purposes. And there's no better rescuer, the writer of Hebrews says, than Jesus. Jesus is the greatest person, the best person to put our trust and our hope in. So let's summarise then what we've, what we've looked at today. What has the writer of Hebrews told us? What he's told us is Jesus is greater than any other message or messenger in our lives. Even angels come second to Jesus. He's told us we must pay the most careful attention to Jesus, try and making him daily our preoccupation to prevent ourselves from drifting away from him. And he's told us that Jesus is our rescuer. And we can receive that rescue or we can ignore it. So as we come to close, then, is there a message that is trying to be greater than Jesus in your life at the moment? Is there something trying to supersede Jesus, trying to overtake Jesus? I want to encourage you today, you can... You can trust Jesus. You can put him at the highest place in your life. He is the person who has earned the right to have the ultimate superiority. His message and what he embodies, his love and grace, can take the highest place in your life. And what might stop you from drifting away from Jesus? Often we drift because little tiny tugs and pulls over time just just loosen our attachment to, to God's presence and God's people. And we find ourselves, before we know it, we've drifted out to sea. We're a long way away from shore. And God wants to rescue us, bring us back into connection with himself and with his church. So you might have given your yesterdays a while ago, but you feel adrift. You might still have not given your yesterday. Jesus is still the rescuer. He comes to rescue you and return you into that safe harbour of God's family and God's love. So let's just pray. Let's pray and ask God to be our rescuer today. Jesus is the great salvation. He's the one who's above even angels. And he offers his love and his grace afresh to us today. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this letter. We thank you for the incredible words that have been captured and passed down through history to us. We thank you that these words were written to encourage believers thousands of years ago and they still encourage us in the same way today. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are superior, you are greater than the angels. You're greater than any message or messenger that is to come or has come before. Lord, we thank you that you are our great salvation. 
Lord, help us to respond to you. Help us to pay careful attention to you. Help us to make you our preoccupation in all things. Help us to put you in every place in our lives. Help us to let your message rise to the top. Rise to the top, God, in every place in, every, in our lives, God. Help, help your message, God, supersede all the other messages that we hear, both externally and internally. Lord, we thank you for your great love and your great grace and your great forgiveness. And Lord, we just reach out to take hold of your salvation again today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.